This morning we read from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. This is the Lord's Prayer. And we want to remember that really it's the last words and the last prayers of people before they face death that are perhaps the most meaningful show us what are the most important things on a person's heart. And this prayer shows us what was most important to Jesus as he lifted up these desires, these requests to his father shortly before he was crucified. Verse 20. My prayer is not for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. What the world needs more than anything is for the church to be the church. Because the world desperately needs Jesus Christ. And it is the church who is the purveyor of Christ to our world. We see it in this prayer. Jesus prays that the world will know that the Father sent Jesus when the church is one, united in love, just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are. The church is the kingdom presence of God that enters, brings the kingdom of God into this broken world. It is the church that is called the body of Jesus Christ. It is we who are the physical presence of Jesus Christ in this world. And it is the church who has commissioned, been commissioned to bring the gospel the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ out into our world. What our world needs now more than anything else is for the church to be the church. How are we doing? You know, there's some wonderful signs around the world and what the church is doing and breaking into our world. There's been some wonderful things that have happened at Westgate We've just ministered to two families that are not a part of our church who have felt a part of our church. The Browns from South Carolina who are up here all alone with him with terminal cancer. But the church came around them in such a way, Westgate came around them in such a way that they are awed by God's presence through us. The Santella family who did not know us except little pieces through Mary were wowed by the way Westgate people came around her and their family as she passed. The hospice chaplain said there is no church 
that she has met more people from than Westgate. There is no church she has seen come around a family the way she saw Westgate come around. There are some good things, but there are, we're not there yet. We're not fully the church Jesus Christ desires us to be. And I only have to look at myself to know that. For many ways, I still set myself above for the church to be serving me more than I serve the church. I still desire my personal preferences over what the church chooses. I still struggle at forgiving when someone has hurt me and I drag my feet at reconciliation. God needs to work in my life to help me become more part of the church and I'm probably not alone here. So what what will it take for me? What will it take for us to really get serious about being the church? And I think it's by beginning to grasp the vision that God has for what we are to be. To move beyond thinking of the church as obedience to certain commands, to live out the one another's as commands, to get it into the very essence and core of God, to see what the very essence and core of the church of Jesus Christ is to be. Only when we grasp His vision, when it replaces our self-centered perspective of the church, will we move forward fully to be the church that God has called us. And we will only get that vision when we first look in the very essence of the triune God himself. Theologian Colin Gunton said it this way, the manifest inadequacy of the understanding of the church derives from the fact that it has never seriously and consistently been rooted in a conception of the being of God as triune. And what it's saying is the church is missing the boat because we have not seriously considered that the church is really a coming together with the triune God in experiencing that triune God in the community that we have in Him and therefore one another. We haven't started at that place. And if we ever did, we don't keep that in the forefront of our minds. This morning, let us enter into an understanding of the Trinity in such a way that it impacts us seriously in our vision of the church. Our Father, only your Spirit can bring alive your word of truth. I pray, start in my heart to break down my selfishness, to grasp with a joy and an excitement what you hold before us, not only in what we experience together, but what we can be in our world today. Meet us today, challenge us, guide us. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. <clears throat> A number of years ago, I was sharing Jesus Christ with a man in his house. And the man said this, he said, you know, um, I got a Christian at work, this, this hypocrite. You know, Christians are hypocrites. There's this 
Christian at work, and every day he steals manufacturing pieces. He puts them in his his lunchbox and walks out. He has stolen thousands of dollars of materials from our company. And my initial response right off the bat was what? Well, if he's behaving like that, uh, he's probably not a Christian. And then the man responded. He said, but he teaches me the exact same thing you're saying about Jesus as Savior. I was stymied and I thought for a moment, prayed quickly, God, what do I say to cover this up? And God said, don't cover it up. And I responded, I said, you know, I have to say, if you could see into the depths of my heart, you would probably see the same kind of sin. All I can say is, please don't look at me. Don't look at the Christian. Look at Jesus. And I say to you today, if, if you're really been outside the church and you've looked in and felt, you know, the church is, is full of hypocrites. The church is very judgmental and insensitive. I just plead with you today, we as a church have often failed. Don't look at us as we are. Hear this morning what Jesus Christ envisions for his church, because that's the church Christ desires. And if you're inside the church, and you've been hurt by the church, and we have failed you, please don't be angry at the church. Forgive us, but become a part of us. Help us by being honest with us about your hurts and pains where we've failed you, and step with us so that we can together become the church God desires. And if you're inside the church and you're very content with the church that we have, I pray God would shake you this morning because we are not what God would have us to be in the church, to shake us to the foundation by what he's going to unveil about what we should be so that we could move forward with Jesus Christ. The church is to be Trinitarian. Uh, author Dirk Smith says this way, the true church is the church that participates in and is determined by the truth of the triune God. And you will read in book after book after book, uh, coming alive to the understanding of what Dirk Smith is saying here, we need to get a new vision of the church that's Trinitarian, that understands God is three in one because we are called to be a community like God is community. We are to be a community in God, with him and with each other. We've talked about the Trinity and, and the essence of God over the past few weeks, and we've said this. God is three. God is one. There is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they have been in an intimate relationship from all of eternity. They have been in a love relationship with each other. The Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, the Spirit and the Son, the Son and the Spirit. And they have been in love and they've had that perfect love relationship. 
And they have shared their mutual glory with one another, glorifying and honoring each other, revolving themselves around each other. And in that they have perfect joy. And we've heard over the past weeks that God has called us into that perfect joy. He created because of an overflow of the love that he had among himself. He overflowed it to draw us into what we have called the divine party to experience that union. And we see that in Jesus' prayer this morning. God brings us into the divine community. He prays, Father, I am in them and you are in me. Make them one as we are one. <clears throat> he asks, he prays that we, we be those who share in a divine love. When he says, when they are one with each other, when they experience that our love with each other, they will become a testimony of the world that you sent me, Father, and that you love them just like you love me. Do you hear those words? brought into the love of God just as the Father loves the Son. That love is in us. And then we participate in a mutual glory. Jesus prayed, I have given them the glory you have given me. Hear the Trinitarian connection. Father, you gave me glory. I give glory to them. I'm sharing that with them. I'm bringing them into the triune community. But he adds one thing we haven't really developed. And that is when we are brought into community with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to experience his glory, his shared glory, to experience his love, to in turn glorify him and to love him, says we are to have the same type of relationship with each other. The others... You too who are brought into this community, which we call the church, we are to have that same sharing with each other, that same love for each other. So all that is happening in the Trinity, God says, I want happening in the church. And I want to take a moment to explore, take each component piece by piece and show that this is exactly why the church is called to live out what we should see in Scripture. So first, the church is to be a community. We are many, but we are one. And God's desire for our unity is so essential. He wants us to be one as they are one. Not just people sitting next to each other, having a similar experience, but interconnected as one. And this is so critical to the Lord that he says, if you have an unreconciled relationship, if you know somebody holds something against you, reconcile before you worship. We'd always say, what's the most important thing? And we'd say, worshiping God. And God says, no. If you are unreconciled, first be reconciled before you lay your offering before the altar. Why? 
Because we are to be one as God is one. The book of Ephesians displays this incredible theology of all that God has done for us. And then it turns in 4.1 and it says, Therefore walk worthy. And we hold this treasure chest of God's work and he's saying, Now put it into action. And the first thing he says is, Be one. Be united. Bear with one another. Be humble. Be meek. Love one another. Forgive each other. And Jesus lays it out, forgive each other as I have forgiven you. Unity, reconciliation, oneness is critical in the church because God is one. And he calls us to have a unity, not just in relationship, but in our vision, in our heart, in our desires. And that comes not when we look out for our own personal interests, but it's when we all, because when we're looking out for our personal interests, we're all out of here like this and kind of battling each other, who can get their way. But when we all get connected to the triune God, just as Jesus was all about the Father's interests, when we unite around that, we become one. And those things that seem so important become very superficial in our eyes. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 says, Make my joy complete, verse 2, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. Do you hear the Trinity in those verses? We're called into it. We are to be one. But we're more than one. We are many members who are one body. We are not duplicates of each other. We don't have all the same interests. Our personalities are very different. Our gifts can be opposite, but they're complementary. Just as the body is a variety of parts, Paul tells us in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, so too we are many members, but we are one body. And when we understand that weak look for our gift to serve one another, and we are content in the gifts that God has given us. We're one, but many coming together as one. One God, three persons. And we are to be interdependent. Connected, serving as one, but dependent upon each other. And we see that in the one another's. There's over 30 one another, different one another commands in Scripture where it says love one another, forgive one another, accept one another, honor one another, look out for one another, consider one another more important than yourselves, support one another, feel with one another, uh, encourage one another, confront one another, speak truth to lo- in love to one another, You see, God has made us interdependent upon one another. Because He is a triune God, He says there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. And when you hear, well, I worship God on the golf course, our first response is, no, you don't. And I'd say, if you do, that's not being the church. Because being the church is being a part of one another. Being the church is being interdependent upon one another. And 
living out the one another's. But remember, these are not external commands that God made up. This is the way the church would function. This comes from the very essence of God being a one another within himself. And that ultimate journey is where we enter into each other's lives to help each other toward our personal goals of becoming like Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling together of one another, but spur one another on with love and good deeds. Encourage one another. And do you hear the two opposite ends there? Spur one another on. Enter into lives. Challenge each other. Come alongside. Be willing to, to be a mentor, to be a helper, to point out things. A person, if we each want to become like Christ, instead of us being threatened that somebody might, someone who loves us, you who are spiritual, enter into the lives of one another. But if we all really love each other, we help each other on that journey. We spur each other on. We also encourage. We come alongside and support and help each other. The church is a community because God is a community. And the result of when the church is the church's community, Jesus says, the world will know that you, Father, sent me. And that there is a love that God has for the church that is just like the Father's love for Jesus. In the Trinity, there is community In the Trinity, there is glory, a sharing of glory. And Jesus says in this passage, I share my glory with the church. The glory that the Father has given me. Now, I I wrestled with what this means for a long time, and the commentators have a whole list of, of what this possibly means. I became very settled on an understanding of, when I began to think of, How did the Father share his glory? In what way did the Father share his glory with Jesus? Because that's the way Jesus shares his glory with us. And I think about it. So Jesus, when he entered into humanity, he took off his glory. He says that in in the early part of this prayer. He, He removed his glory. He emptied himself. But he lived a glory. He stepped onto this earth living out with the glory of God through the power of the Spirit of God in such a way that when Philip asked, he said, Father, if Jesus, if you could just show us the Father, we'd be all content. And Jesus said, Philip, have you been with me so long and you don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, Jesus lived out the glory of the Father on earth. That is the glory that Jesus gives us. He gives us a glory to be His representative of His glory. That is why we are called, the church is called the household of God. The body of Christ. The temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you get it? We're in the triune relationship and we are the ones who are here to present and lift up the glory of God through our lives. That's who the church is. It is not about me. 
It is not about me getting part of it. You know, we might feel sometimes, well, I look at what the God commands about the church, and I'm pretty good at this and this and this. I'm not doing so well over here, but I'm getting this and this and not so well over here. But look at five out of seven. I'm doing pretty good if I could just bolster myself over here. Being the body of Christ is a little bit like being filled with the Spirit. Either have nine fruit. If you only have seven, it means the Spirit isn't working through you. It means you're pretty good at seven things personally. You're struggling with two. No, the fruit of the Spirit spirit is singular. If God's working, they all come. And the same as if we get being the church, it's not us getting, you know, 20 out of the 31 another's right. It's us being so transformed, all 30 flow out of us. Because we are the body of Christ to the glory of God. And you know what happens? When we live as the church, people begin to feel the presence of Jesus Christ around him. In my pastoral internship, one of the tasks the pastor gave me was to walk alongside a man named Homer Layton who was dying of emphysema. And over that summer, he slowly deteriorated. And at the beginning, he was just joyful and happy. And even as he deteriorated a little bit, he was still just a real joy to be with. But as he reached toward his last days, struggling breathing, I came there and he said, he said, Bruce, I know the Bible says that Jesus is here. He never leaves me and forsakes me. But I have a hard time believing it because I can't feel his arms around me. Again, completely lost prayer. Lord, what do I say? And I turned to him and I said, I'm the arms and the hug and the love of Jesus Christ. I would not be here with you today if it were not for what Jesus Christ did in my life. I am a part of his body. I am his physical presence for you. That should be true of every way in which we enter into the lives of the church and the world around us. And when that happens, they will see our good works And they will glorify God who is in heaven. The third thing we see happening in the Trinity is the community, the three in one. The shared glory and the shared love. Remember the two greatest commandments? Jesus said it's love God. And we've talked about that. That's, That's part of the fulfillment of our purpose is to know God, to love him. And then Jesus says, there's a second one just like it. He doesn't say there's a second one that's a little inferior. A second one that's pretty good too. Maybe you should get that into your life. He said, there's a second one just like the first one. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, all the law is fulfilled in these. The entire law was given to us to help us live out When we ask the question, how do we love God? How do we love one another? We listen and follow his commandments and we know how to do it. Jesus said in the upper room, he says, I give you a new commandment. He said that you love one another. 
And I think we all go, new? That's way back in the Old Testament. But he finished it this way. That you love one another as I have loved you. Now we have a new vision of what it means to love. We're not talking about an earthly love now, are we? We're talking about something much vaster, much beyond. A love that Jesus Christ has for us is to be in us in such a way others experience our love in the same way Christ loved through us. I think Tim Keller, as he talks about the Trinity, shows a bit of the contrast. He says, In self-centeredness, we demand that others orbit around us. We do things and give affection to others as long as it helps us meet our personal goals and fulfills us. The inner life of the triune God, however, is utterly different. The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. Do we love, do we, are we part of a church because of what we get? Are we so transformed that we are like the Trinity itself? It is all about what we give. It is all about the way Jesus Christ loved us, sacrificially, as a servant, to giving up his very life for us. That's the church God's called us to be. And when we love one another like that, the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. That this is what Jesus is all about, not the church they see today. Easy task, right? If you're like me, it's like, Lord, I have, have failed. This is so far beyond me. How could I ever reach it? Good, if you feel like that, because we can't. But when the gospel penetrates our lives, it transforms us from being inward to being outward. If we look to the church to establish our identity so that we feel good about ourselves. I belong to Westgate. Then I will forever be bragging about Westgate and I will forever see Westgate as in competition to other people, to other, uh, with other churches. I will judge other churches for not being as good as Westgate. And I will try to get other people in good churches to come to Westgate. But if I get my identity in the fact that Jesus Christ so loved me, that I am now a child of God, beloved of Christ, if my identity is there, then I will be rooting for the other churches and praying for the other churches in being willing to see the weaknesses of who we are so that God can change us. I won't be looking for another church that's better than Westgate to have a, be tied to a church that's better. As long as I am looking for some emotional 
feeling, kind of to get pumped up through the worship service, I'm going to be sitting in judgment on what takes place in the worship service. I'm going to be desiring the movie, the kind of music that pumps me up. But if I am so gripped by the glory of Jesus Christ himself, that I can live in the presence of his glory, that he has brought me into through the cross of Jesus Christ, I am freed to worship him in whatever style is given to me. As long as I look for others to meet my emotional and physical needs, I am going to be frustrated with the church. I'm going to be disappointed and critical. But if I, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, realize that Christ is there always, that I can depend upon Him to be there for me, I know my emotional needs are met. That I'd look to the cross and say, if God gave His only Son, He will look out for me in every physical need. That I am free not to be looking for what others are going to bring to me, but what I can bring to others. As long as I seek my significance through how other people in the church view me, I'm going to be upset when I don't get the proper job in the church. If I don't get the recognition I believe I deserve. But if the gospel so transforms me that I know I am so valued and treasured that God sent his son for me, I don't need you to treasure me. But I am free, free from those burdens to simply love you and accept you. If I view myself through your eyes and what you think of me is so important, I'm going to hide the true self from you. You're not going to see me. You're going to see the masquerade that I show you. But when I feel so accepted, so loved, just as I am, by looking at the cross, I am free from needing your approval. And I can live, I'm free to be me as God is working in me. Free to show my faults that you might enter into my life and come alongside me. That's the church. As long as we look for the church to fulfill us, we will never be the church God intended. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of the wonders of His love, His grace, His glory, that comes to us through the cross of Jesus Christ, we are freed from the self-centeredness and we can become the church that Christ envisions for us. We can be the household of God, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit in, the, in this broken world, the kingdom presence of God. We can be the Trinitarian church. Our Father, 
Thank you for your words, for your truth. Minister them to our hearts. Only your spirit can do this work.